1: This is frank ogle writer of dead-end kids and no heroin you recently heard me on the show to talk about my new book dead-end kids the suburban job dead-end kids the suburban job follows three former friends who have all been deeply affected by the events of september 11th as they struggle alone to cope with the long-term effects of that tragic day and what happens to them when they find a bag of cash stolen from a local drug kingpin i just wanted to drop by and remind you guys that dead-end kids the suburban job is currently up for pre-order for those of you who haven't checked out the original Dead End Kids, The Suburban Job is a fresh start, a new cast and a new place with a new crime. For those of you who love the original series, we've got the entire creative team back together again to bring you more of what you love the first time around. But whether you're a new or returning reader, I think i really dig the new series. If you want to check out Dead End Kids' the Suburban Job, be sure to get your pre-orders in at your local comic shop by December 4th. Milton's Comics and Culture Radar, a podcast that's on the lookout for what's good to read and watch. If you don't know who Milton is, let's ask for Sutherland's father what he thinks.
0: Don't write this down, but I find Milton probably as boring as you find Milton. He's a little bit long-winded. He doesn't translate very well into our generation, and his jokes are terrible.
1: This episode, Milton's guest is Rick Quinn. Rick is a comic book writer and he's here to discuss the release of his newest book, Chameleons. He's also currently offering a special promotion, a bundle of all of his comics to support the Fair Fight Action Committee. It's a collection of fantastic comics at a special discount price until January 5th.
2: Hey, Rick, thanks for coming on to the podcast.
0: Of course, Milton. I am, uh, I'm very uh, happy and excited to be on uh, your podcast. Uh, And before we start, I just wanted to Offer congratulations for the launch of Thompson Heller Detective Interstellar.
2: Oh well, thank you, thank you.
0: I know you don't use your podcast to promote your own stuff, but I figured I would do it for you. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> the uh, the uh, yeah the book is great. I think the creative team did um, you know an amazing job, and it's exciting to see uh, you have a book in comic shops.
2: Yeah, that's that's been quite a thrill. I, I've I've enjoyed uh, that that threshold of seeing seeing a book I did uh, showing up on shelves. Uh, it, it's been quite an experience, and I, I owe a lot of thanks to you as well. Um, you provided enormous uh, feedback and guidance. Uh, you were kind of like the quasi editor of the project, so um, I think you deserve some congratulations there as well.
0: Well, thank you. I mean, that goes both ways. So definitely.
2: But enough about that nonsense. Let's move on to why you're really here. We've got a couple of things from you to talk about. You've recently launched a new book and you have a special campaign uh, bundle of a lot of your projects available as well uh let's let's first start out with the the new book um the new book is called chameleons why don't you give us the elevator pitch about chameleons
0: sure um so chameleons is uh, part of an anthology series that i'm doing alongside my uh co-collaborator martin lorbecki uh that's called the uncanny or it's called uncanny valley the idea of the anthology being, it's kind of like our own, you know, version of the twilight zone or black mirror. It's kind of a, uh, a series that allows us to explore a lot of, uh, the same themes, uh, across all the different stories, things that kind of, you know, uh, interest the two of us, um, technology, AI, um, faith, religion, um, music, memory. And so the first book that we did for the series was a book called Earworm, which you uh, share a co-scripting credit on. Um, and the so the second one is called Chameleons, is set in a dystopic world where most of humanity has been uh, hunted almost to the point of extinction by these uh, satellites. It's called the geo orbital defense system. The acronym is gods. So the gods have nearly wiped humanity off the face of the earth. And this, the story is about this lone family that is uh, traversing this kind of um, empty snow covered landscape in search of this like rumored sanctuary for the, the last of of humankind. And the only thing that is protecting them is, uh, these, uh, kind of flimsy cloaking devices. And that's the, that's the general premise. Um, if you're familiar at all with Martin's work, which you definitely, uh, should be, uh, if you're not, you should definitely look him up, um, on social media, but he specializes in, um, you know, weird robot creatures kind of this like his style is very um kind of has this like deeply melancholic quality to it and um i think that it's uh you know some some of his his best work and um he you know and it, it as far as this is our third completed project together and um it uh it's the most collaborative that we've ever done before we, uh, the initial premise he kind of emailed me just like a a few sentences um kind of explaining what he wanted to do and then i kind of took that and turned it into a, a i think it ended up being like 32 33 pages somewhere around there uh so that that's um kind of been an exciting part of the project too, is that, and uh, as we're kind of moving forward, we're kind of leaning into that where it's, it's much more of a kind of like co-creation from the very beginning. um, As opposed to, you know, I sit, come up with an idea, write a script and send it to him. And then he does the art and then sends it back. Um, Yeah.
2: That's a That's a fascinating detail to understand because I've, followed your progression in your collaborations with martin pretty closely and something felt new about this Um, and i couldn't quite put my finger on it and i think you've revealed it now that the change in process has synthesized what you guys bring to the table and elevated both of your contributions accordingly that's pretty fascinating
0: yeah and it's Um, interesting too because it's I it's not I don't think that I would have ever written this story had he not suggested the kind of the initial prompt. Um and so I i I kind of I kind of like that challenge of of being given like you know a kind of a short skeleton of a premise and then well what can I can I execute this and can I um put myself in it? And uh Yeah. So, um, sorry, I I started rambling again, but anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, the process, uh, was definitely, was definitely fun. And yeah, I think that, um, it kind of, uh, brought out the best in what we do, um, when we, when we do work together.
2: And so this is your third collaboration with Martin and you're working on a fourth right now, right? Correct. Now, back up a little bit tell us how how you first linked up with martin
0: i first linked up with martin because on on uh i I did a comic with the artist dana obera called saltwater and i posted about it on my tumblr page at the time and i in my memory literally within seconds there was like a like on it and i was like oh cool somebody liked my post Clicked on it and it was this person Martin Lorbecki. I I didn't know who he was. I have no idea how he saw it. He he didn't follow me. We didn't know each other, and um, I was like, I just started scanning through his page, and I was like, he just. I mean, he's incredibly prolific. I mean, he draw. You know, he's like constantly creating and um, posting original art, like pretty much every day, and. I just started scanning through his page and I was like, I can't believe that this person is undiscovered, you know? Um, I just thought he was just like, so not just like, I mean, not just talented and not just um, like, I like the art, but it was like very unique and like his, I, I just got, I felt like I got a sense of him through the artwork and I just felt like an instant, um, kind of kinship to the artwork. And I just knew, I was like, I know that I will uh, get along with this person. And I also immediately upon seeing it, kind of like connected in my mind, I had this story idea that I'd had for, I think a few years. And it just immediately, I was like, this is the person to do the artwork for this. And so I just messaged him, uh, I think right away and just said, you know, I saw your, I saw your page. I really like your artwork. I have this story idea. Would you be interested in collaborating on it? And uh, lucky for me, he uh, was available and wanted to do it. And so that ended up being our, our first book, which is called the ghost
2: butterfly. Right. And the ghost butterfly is, is another fantastic short and it, Ghost Butterfly is one of the offerings in this bundle that you are currently promoting. I think you're calling it the Georgia Senate Bundle. Um, it has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven books in it. If I'm following it correctly, tell us a little bit about this uh, Georgia State Bundle you have going.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so the um, yeah. So this bundle is. It's essentially every comic that I've made at this point. Um, And essentially, yeah, so the concept is just, you know, the um, the there are two Senate races in Georgia that are currently is like a runoff um, election and the the money that 100 percent of the money that I make from selling these either digitally or in the physical copies is going to fair fight, which is Stacey Abrams's, um, organization basically to do, uh, you know, whatever I can to try and help, uh, make sure that, uh, the people that win those Senate races are, uh, not Republicans. And, um, yeah, so the, the, um, the bundles, the digital one, I priced at fifteen dollars, and the physical one is is fifty, Um, that includes shipping. And I also uh, posted that um, the the like the the PayPal widget on uh, WordPress, which is the, what I use for my website, uh, doesn't allow like a pay what you want option. But if either of those prices are are either outside of your your budget or you don't think that they're worth that much, <laughs> which I would also excuse. Uh, feel free to DM me or email me and, um, we can work out a deal because I, you know, uh, it isn't to me, you know, it's like, it's not about, um, making money and I just want to be able to do whatever I can. And,
2: uh, yeah, I think that's basically it. So let me, let me put you on the spot, uh, and put you in a quick rapid fire, uh, pitch mode um oh there are seven titles and let's let's get a quick uh overview of each one of these titles uh, i'm going to list all the titles first and then we'll hit them one by one they are earworm spirit drifters the negatives the ghost butterfly salt water dead sparrow and chameleons so first earworm
0: earworm is uh uh a comic I did with Martin Lorbecki, uh did, who did the artwork. Um you uh graciously uh co-scripted it with me and the letters are done by Hassan Otsman Elhau. And that one is kind of like sci-fi horror. It's the first one in the Uncanny Valley project. It's about um a detective who the opening scene is basically de- well a pair of detectives um coming across a dead body where the head has exploded off and basically very quickly you learn that there is kind of a rogue um song slash virus floating around in the air that when you hear it it uh you know you can't get it out of your head so that's the story behind that one spirit drifters spirit drifters is a fantasy comic that i co-created with eric whalen uh, that we, uh, funded and printed off of Kickstarter. That one is, is very much kind of like, a an action adventure homage to like the JRPG games that I played growing up, like Final Fantasy and Secret of Mana, Chrono Trigger, Legend of Zelda. Um, and it, it uh, it involves, uh, giant robots and, uh, swords that multiply uh, when you use them.
2: Awesome. Awesome. The Negatives.
0: The Negatives is a book I co-created with the artist Jacoby Salcido. That one was also done on Kickstarter. That one is kind of, I think the pitch, that one I actually had a, a decent pitch, which was uh, The Avengers meets Arrested Development. Um, that one is, is kind of this team of misfit superheroes who their powers are kind of all based on being depressed um and that one is is it's black and white and i uh, you know it's it's basically it's like a comedy you don't it it plays on certain um tropes of of superhero comics but you don't need to be familiar with with those to enjoy it i don't think um
2: Right. It works. It works either way. It, it, it has a, an additional layer if you're aware of those tropes, but otherwise it's, it's just humorous and inventive on its own. Okay. Next, next title up for grabs, the ghost butterfly.
0: So the ghost butterfly is the aforementioned uh, first project with Martin. That one is, um, is about a a, a, a person who is um, living underground um, kind of like the surface world has been reduced to kind of ash and rubble after some unnamed nuclear, uh, apocalypse. And the story is about him venturing further and further outside of kind of his, um, uh, like the safe zone, uh, in search of somebody who he lost, um, before, before the dark times.
2: Cool, cool. Uh, Saltwater. Saltwater
0: is a book I did with the artist Dana O'Bara. That one is, um, is again, kind of like an action-adventure sci-fi. Uh, very, uh, well, the initial kind of impulse was Dana told me he wanted to do something in the vein of, of Star Wars, kind of. And so it was Star Wars meets The Abyss. Um, I've, I always loved uh, James Cameron's *The Abyss* and wanted to do something that was set underwater, and um, so yeah, that one is about this young woman who uh, kind of uh, becomes part of this like underground resistance against sh- the 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 story is set on this city where one half of the city is above uh, water and then which is called the Golden City, and then the other part of the city is like this underground. Uh, piece called The Corroded City. And so uh, it's kind of a story about how she goes from the underground city and um, tries to make the two equal.
2: And if uh, if we are going to make a parallel to Star Wars with Saltwater, I, I think you might agree with me. Um, instead of viewing Star Wars as the distributed entity it has become, this is very much in vain specifically with a new hope versus all the others. Yeah,
0: sure. I mean, I, I thought you were going to, I I was hoping you'd somehow, um, somehow line up uh, my chance to praise the last Jedi, but
2: (laughs) that's okay. Uh, (laughs) Oh yeah. We'll have to do that again at some, some future point. (laughs) Um, okay. Penultimate title in the list here, The Dead Sparrow.
0: The Dead Sparrow is a book I did with an artist named Quinn Ray Manning, and the lettering was done by Adita Bidikar. The Dead Sparrow is, uh, it's a pretty simple story. I mean, it's about a, a young girl who on the morning of her mother's funeral finds a dead sparrow, um, kind of in the, in the yard outside. And it's, there's not really much more to the story than that it's it's kind of um uh the inspiration for that was very much kind of like um pan's labyrinth kind of a gilmo del toro uh fable kind of feel along with i was listening to a lot of uh nick caves uh film soundtracks at the time which if you've listened to them him and uh his violinist whose name's warren ellis uh they're pretty somber uh, and so it's, that one is, um, although it's kind of like uh, uh, it's the shortest of all of my uh, of all my comics and uh, kind of the simplest to describe, it's, it's one that I, I kind of have a soft spot for in my heart, um, uh, particularly because, I mean, they, I think all of them, like the artists kind of went above and beyond. But I, I just I was a huge such a huge fan of um, Quinn's uh, artwork and I, I just thought that she did an amazing job on it. So,
2: and we have already talked about the the last one, which is actually the newest one, uh, Chameleons. Um, so essentially, this is kind of like the Rick Quinn Reader Volume One, uh, a compilation of all the comics work you've done to date. Uh, it's extraordinarily impressive work. Uh, it's very diverse. Um, And I think it just it's an introduction to your many talents as a writer. And honestly, it hasn't even captured what you're capable of yet. So I I highly recommend people become an early Rick Quinn adopter. Um, I I will I'm going to have to put you on the spot on one question here that leads into uh, your next project. Uh, But before we get to your next project, this collection it the spectrum that it runs is uh, from somber to grim to melancholic <laughs> to dark to depressing <laughs> to distill. Many shades of red um, quinn.
0: The dark Rick and somber Rick and
2: depressing. Um what, I love it. Uh, what brings you down so much, Mr. Quinn? Uh when I've I've had the pleasure of meeting you in person and being a friend of yours. Uh you seem a normal, well-adjusted dude. Um, and your output is uh shall we say not uh, technicolor wizard of Oz looking.
0: That is very true. Um, yeah, I mean,
2: uh, what, what attracts you to those types of stories? Um,
0: I mean, I, <clears throat> I mean, I have always, um, uh, I mean, ever since I was, uh, a pretty young kid. I mean, I, I, I did, I have had, you know, um, kind of a long history with depression and, and, and that kind of thing. I, but honestly, I, you know, I think of like, which, what artist hasn't, what artist doesn't, isn't able to kind of access those, um, those kinds of thoughts mm-hmm. and those kinds of feelings. Um, I think that the, you know, I, I think that there's, I'm trying to think there's a good, um, there's a good quote from, uh, what is her name? Rebecca Solnit that I heard from, um, uh, she was on Ezra Klein's podcast and she was talking about the difference between, uh, people saying that they're happy, uh, versus feeling joy. And she was saying that, you know, I think that happy can be a very, um, kind of shallow feeling and that joy is, much rarer, but, um, more valuable. And that, you know, the, the blue, I think she, she like references the blues in terms of music. And it's like, well, the reason why the blues is so effective is because it is accessing those, um, somber and, and darker feelings. Um, and yeah, I don't know, but I guess that doesn't answer why I'm attracted to it. I, I mean, I think just in general, it's those kinds of stories and those kinds of feelings are, yeah, I guess just a lot more complex and interesting, uh, than, you know, just going about and and being a normal person. Uh, I, ever since I was a kid, I've been writing and wanted to be an artist and I knew that I wasn't normal. Uh, I wasn't treated like I was normal and I, very quickly kind of, you know, uh, decided to wear that as like a badge of honor. Like, no, like, why would I want to be normal? Anyone can do that. Um, so I, yeah, I guess part of it is just, um, yeah, I I guess I'm sorry. I'm kind of rambling, but, um, I just think that those things are, are more interesting.
2: Now, one of the more obvious genres, uh, for, for that, those tones, um, is the horror genre. When, when you were a teenager, were, were you attracted to horror movies and horror novels? I, I, I,
0: uh, horror is a genre that I generally like really kind of, well, I wouldn't say I dislike it. I, I'm not very interested in a lot of horror, um.
2: Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel the same Horror way. Horror
0: is a genre to me that I have very specific kind of aesthetic wants out of it. Um, I, I'm i not a fan of um, kind of like, I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, they have, you know, they, they have their value. But like slashers or things that are just like really violent or have, you know, a lot of blood and kind of jump scares, like that stuff's all fine, but it doesn't really interest me in the way that like a lot of people who are like super into horror movies. Um, I prefer, you know, things like, um, the shining, uh, you know, things that are like a little more kind of psychological. Um, and just kind of like creep you out on a more like existential level.
2: Yeah. The, the, the darkness in the work that you've shared with the world thus far is more in that shining variety. It's psychological, it's tone. Um, there's nothing gratuitous about it. Um, there might be one gratuitous panel in the entire oeuvre and you probably know which one I'm talking about, but, uh, uh, other than that, every, everything is, uh, pretty, uh, uh, layered and full of depth. And in fact, um, uh, that leads me to uh, my question about your next uh, collaboration with Martin. Uh, I'm a little bit worried about this collaboration. I'm worried this might be a Dylan goes electric scenario. <laughs> uh, with all the success you guys have had on the dark end of the spectrum, you're, you're, you're working on a sort of optimistic project?
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, the, the new project that we're working on is called Meriwether and yeah, it's um, it's kind of yeah, and I mean again, it's kind of interesting because I'm not quite sure entirely why um, I decided to kind of switch gears and and try something totally kind of different. It's very like kind of influenced by uh, well, Star Trek uh, was is a huge um, kind of uh, what do you call it like um. Touch point for me, like, uh, and and that that idea of kind of this utopian worldview uh, um, that kind of Star Trek offers, and um, that's what this this project is is definitely kind of in that vein. Um, the plot, this the story is basically like thousands of years ago, um, humanity had to bunker underground because of climate change and different things, and. They basically, before they left, kind of set up these uh, AI programs to recreate reality, so that in thousands of years, when they we could come back, there would be this whole new world to explore. And so the the basic premise of the story is it's this is kind of like the first team Meriwether, so Meriwether Lewis it, from the Lewis and Clark. So the the concept is that this team is kind of the the first to go exploring this new AI created uh, planet earth. And yeah, it has a, um, it has a utopian point of view. I think, i, mean, I think that. Um, of- so, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I do think that, um, you know, I, I often describe myself, the comedian Bill Hicks has this line about, it, he's a misanthropic humanist and, <laughs> that is my exact kind of point of view. I mean I um, I can be very kind of dark and bleak, but at the same time, I think that I also somehow also have hope and optimism that eventually you know humanity will will come around. So there there is light in there. there you know, it's
2: just sometimes it's hard to see. I think you've uh, revealed why we became such friends because uh, Bill Hicks is uh, pretty much one of my uh, heroes. And of course, he's he's from my hometown of Houston, Texas. I, I refer to him as the prophet of H-Town. Um, and uh, you just uh, eloquently described that philosophy. I've always just sort of said the same thing really simply. I, I tend to view myself as a short-term pessimist long-term optimist um and so uh this book that we uh that we're waiting for is still in the early phases martin has shared i don't know if it's public yet but uh i think he has he he shared some of the uh uh concept work publicly hasn't he yeah yeah i think so yeah it, it it looks amazing and uh even if this is a Dylan Goes Electric scenario, I'm, uh, I'm on board with the next phase of your uh, collaboration there. Um, I don't know if you've consciously wanted to brand it this way, but I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, so-called solar punk movement. You, you should adopt the label and say that this is a solar punk uh, project. I haven't heard
0: that. I've heard cli for uh, climate change related science fiction. <laughs> so that's kind of okay. how I sometimes refer to it as, but solar punk. yeah
2: solar yeah it's sort of meant to be sort of a uh, a mirror image of cyberpunk uh, a more optimistic expression of the future um and often rooted in uh ecology related uh topics not necessarily always that but yeah um, mainly um and there was a collection of stories uh shepherded in an anthology by neil stevenson uh along that route uh and uh i'm glad to see more and more people are adopting the the approach and i think it's an interesting uh angle i haven't successfully written anything in that genre yet i i think i'm i'm still too uh too attached to some of the more uh grim outlook uh aspects of cyberpunk um maybe one day i'll get optimistic in my fiction but oh yeah um, i'm not no there I'm, yet. I'm
0: sure that you i'm sure that you've got some of that in you um i uh it does remind me i was um so i recently watched um uh, the the david byrne concert movie american utopia that's his his kind of how, how that is amazing uh, it's it's especially i mean if you're a fan of talking heads or david byrne it's uh it's pretty incredible but i i especially like at this moment I I found it like pretty kind of affecting and powerful. And I, I was listening to a podcast with, um, the film critic, uh, Scott Tobias. And I thought that he kind of put it perfectly where he said that it's, he described it as being defiantly optimistic, but not naive. And which is,
2: which, Oh, wow. That's a perfect, Mm -hmm. right.
0: And I mean, to me, that's kind of the, it's an, it's a very difficult balancing act, you know, to, to be basically, you know, optimistic or, or kind of upbeat, but then not have it be corny and not have it be trite and not have it be insincere. Um, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, another, uh, writer or, you know, one of my heroes is the writer Ursula K. Le Guin and in her book, The Dispossessed, I mean, there's this, a lot of passages about, love and the nature of love and the way that she describes it isn't like anything you've ever heard before in terms of like oh it's it's so great and it's wonderful and the way that she described it she's like this is hard this is hard work and it's not it's not something that just happens this is something that you have to build and work on and continually kind of um you know up, have have upkeep with and um I think that kind of point of view is, yeah. Like I said, I mean, it's like it's so hard to manage it, it you know, and do that. And that—that's my, you know, those are, you know, that both of those people, you know, I, I kind of try and um, follow their example, and they're two people that I I like really respect. But like, because I do think, I mean, you, you know, you can get just like you can. You can you can err on both sides. You can you can be dark and depressing, and kind of like anyone can do that. It's really easy to write something depressing, you know, like panel one, mm-hmm. like uh, the razor blade. The light is you know uh, on the ra- razor blade. Panel two slash panel three, like dead body, and you know um, anyone can <laughs> do that. Just like anyone can, you know panel one like a field of flowers and panel two like a little kid jumping across with a balloon like neither of those have any value whatsoever um i think it's the it's the being able to and you know being an adult and being mature is is the the ability to keep two thoughts in your head simultaneously that kind of like you're saying like the um with the long view and short view. It's like things can be bad, but they can also be good. And sometimes the same thing can be bad and good at the same time. Um, And I just, again, kind of to get to relate that to, to the earlier kind of conversation is like, I think that the, whatever you're dealing with, whether it's light or dark, having both there makes it richer than just kind of an empty platitude or an empty, um, you know, or, or an easy, an easier explanation of things.
2: That that's amazing and fascinating because this, this is a, um, unintentionally perfect segue to the next section I wanted to ask you about that has its own light side and dark side. Um, let's call this the agony and the ecstasy of making comics. (laughs) Um, so on the light side, um, I bet you probably don't take compliments very well, but I'm gonna do this anyway. Um, you are one of the strongest writers I've ever encountered. Um, and um, if you were a baseball player, uh, we would call you a five tool talent. Um, you, you I know, know you that probably I you, don't yeah, know, you know that, that
0: you're gonna to have to explain that to me because I have absolutely no idea about anything sports ball related.
2: so so basically uh the five tools of baseball are speed power hitting for average fielding and arm strength and you never get a guy almost never that can do all of those things um it is a rare once or twice in a generation talent that can do all of those things um and uh Of course, every year, the the hype and the prospects, uh, you know, there's always one guy that they're like, all right, this guy's a five-tool guy, this guy's a five-tool guy. But if there's an equivalent in comic book writing, I think you're a five-tool talent. Um, I see no weaknesses in the the scripts that you've shared and the comics that you've created. Um, Whereas myself and some of my closest collaborator friends and people in the industry, I think I can pinpoint what they're strong at, what they're weak at. Um, you seem equally good at all facets of the game. Um, your your characters are multi dimensional. Um, they're organic. They um, they they naturally represent the diversity of the world. Um, they uh, they exist in worlds that are compelling and, and well built, but not over built. Not like Tolkien, you know, nerd nerd out, you know, spend generations doing world building for the sake of world building. Um, Your dialogue is fresh and uh, authentic sounding and your characters sound unique to themselves. Um, The length of your stories seems ideally suited to whatever, you know, if you choose a certain page number, that story fits that. It doesn't feel like you've shortchanged or that you've over-crammed anything. Uh, So I basically, I think on behalf of, all other comic writers out there, I'm, I guess I'm just saying fuck you, um, because that's unfair. But um, well, right before but, you said that, I was
0: going to say, um, like, so do you want me to PayPal you directly for this, or um, <laughs> no one's going to, you know, uh, believe that uh, you know
2: I'm not paying you off. <laughs> but here's here's the but this i've i've cleverly led you into a trap here because the downside we've been talking about the light side and the dark side here um i also think it's true that um as crazy as this may be um i think people have not seen some of your best work and some of that is due to the difficulties in actually making comics uh, and some of the disappointments of the comic creating process. And I am I misremembering this or not, but I think the challenge the, the challenges of comics got to you at a point. That didn't you almost quit uh like three years ago? Um <laughs> I don't think uh
0: I don't know if I ever um if I ever said that I was thinking of you are- quitting. I there was a you were on the ropes. You were on the ropes, at least. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, but that, you know, that, um, you know, that that happens regardless of, uh, you know, you, you go through periods where, yeah, you know, things are harder and or not. And um, but yeah, I mean, well, first of all, before we get too far away, I mean, I do have to uh, I, I can't let that like you said, I I can't let that, um, compliment just go by without commenting and, uh, making sure that, you know, it's like, um, I, While I appreciate, you know, everything that you're saying. And I mean, for, for full, um, disclosure that everyone's listening. I mean, we, we have been friends for, for a while now. And, um, but you know, it's like, I, you know, it's like, um, the things that I, I've been writing for, you know, uh, almost my whole life. And, um, but, you know, like a lot of those lessons and, and things that um, got me to where I am currently, I mean, like it didn't happen by itself. And, and there are a lot of people along the way who helped, you know, support me in all kinds of different ways. So definitely wasn't like a singular achievement, whatever those achievements are. Um, as far as like quitting comics, I mean, I I, I think that I've my priorities have just changed a lot from when I first started. I think my, my initial goal was like, you know, kind of like, Oh, I want to, you know, become a published writer who has like a, you know, an ongoing series that kind of like the ones that I, you know, kind of grew up reading and, um, and just kind of like the reality of that has, has changed the, the business um, of comics has changed and my own priorities have changed and what I'm, looking for has changed and what I want to do has changed. And, uh, I kind of accidentally kind of fell into this, this mode of kind of creating these like short stories, um, that are each kind of their own, um, thing. And, you know, and I've been self-publishing them and like, I just, it's just turned out that like, I really like doing that. And so my interest in, like, approaching a publisher and, and you know, um, going that route has just kind of, it has rescinded uh, quite a bit. I mean, of course, you know, uh, not saying that I, I wouldn't love it if somebody um, put their their company and their resources into um backing one of my projects and getting it in front, you know, that would certainly get it in front of more people. And like the, the end goal with all of this is having more people read it. Um, you know, that would be great, but I, I guess I'm just not as, um, you know, that isn't necessarily so much the goal for me anymore than it just is to like make, make the thing and be challenging myself. Um, you know, I've, I've, uh, kind of been branching out too recently with like writing more prose, like short stories and, and poetry and, um, you know, just like, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what about for you? What would you say is, you know, now that you've kind of achieved a goal of having a published book, like what is, what is on the horizon for you? Or, or are you looking to, replicate that and, and keep up with that or, or yeah, what I'm kind of curious to hear what your side of the equation is. I,
2: I feel like I, I'm in a similar place to you in, in one respect and that I, I had certain, uh, aspirations for certain ongoing series and maybe even one or two licensed books. Um, and a career path that fits, uh, you know, certain uh, certain creators I admire, um, and I don't have that vision anymore. Um, and I do share your approach of there are certain just things that I want want to create and put out in the world. the The problem is, is I, I diverge from you in the sense that I um i I don't have that ability to have all of my creativity spread around a lot of different uh things that can be expressed in shorter units i'm as you know i'm i'm kind of cumulatively gearing towards one really epic project and unfortunately the economics of comics are such that you know for something like that to even exist at a certain level you've got to figure out some sort of audience viability for it even to exist so i'm still trying to quote unquote play the game uh just to achieve that one particular project right um and i'll i'll be super happy if i can get that one community.
0: well that, yeah and i mean that um, that has um you know as far as like you kind of alluded to me kind of having these frustrations earlier i mean it, it's all tied up in economics and you know it's it's especially if you're an independent creator i mean like You know um making comics costs a lot of money and so if you don't have a lot of money it uh it can pretty severely limit what you're able to do if you're a writer you know it's a lot different if you're you're a writer and an artist and you you know can kind of generate the complete package on your own but if that's not the case then just all of those things are really difficult and You know, when you're doing it on your own, um, you're having to manage like every part of the process and, you know, it's just a lot of work. And especially if you have, um, you know, your, your normal job and, and other things going on in your life, like it can get to be a bit much. So, um, yeah, I get, you know, that all plays into it as well.
2: So. I'm not sure how you're going to answer this, but if uh, if the opportunity ever did come along, you know, Mr. Monopoly man with his monocle shows up to your uh, residence in his Rolls Royce and pulls out the bag of money and says, Mr. Quinn, you are going to do a licensed comic book, which which uh, you can choose one. Which one would you choose? Or would you tell Mr. Monocle, monocle Monopoly man to go away?
0: I mean, I'd love to say, yeah, I'd be like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want your money, but of course, yeah, no, I'll take, uh, you know, um, (laughs) um, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I honestly don't really have any, um, any desire to write like a established, um, character. I I just never, I, I never really have, um, I know that there are some people who, you know, they they get into comics and and kind of the goal is like, well, one day I'll be writing, you know, X-Men. And yeah, I'm sure that that, I mean, that sounds cool. I just don't have any idea for an X-Men comic. I don't have any idea for, you know, I don't I don't even know where to begin. Just completely honestly, like I I think I would be completely lost. I, I mean, I think. The one, the one character that I and I, I think that if I had to choose, is the one that I would go with. Is kind of is is an odd choice, I think, um, just for myself. But I th- it would be Superman, because I, I think
2: really that that's a surprising that's a surprising choice. Well, I
0: think that Superman is. And like my, my brother, Riley, we get in, well, we don't get in arguments all the time, but we have discussed his dislike of Superman. He thinks that he sucks. And I kind of always have to take the defensive position and, and kind of advocate for Superman. Um, and, you know, his whole point is like, well, he's invincible. Like, it, what's interesting about it? And so to me, as, as the writer, it's like, well, that's a really interesting challenge. How do you make somebody invincible interesting? and uh you know and I, i think like it you know it's like how many great superman stories are there there's like two one of them's written by alan moore and the other one's written by grant morrison and everything else is pretty bad uh you know sorry to all the superman fans out there but like a lot of those comics are pretty trash and uh yeah so i i think i would i would um I would like the challenge. And I also, you know, it's just like, to me, Superman is, um, you know, is, is, is so iconic and it would just be kind of cool. I, you know, and I, I'm kind of also like, I think Batman is, is pretty overrated. Um, and the only, I mean, of course, like I grew up, I, I, you know, I grew up loving Spider-Man. I, I, I do have a story that I will write one day that is tangentially related to Spider-Man, which whether I have permission to incorporate him into it or not, I will do, but, um, I don't really have like a, an idea for like an actual Spider-Man story. And, um, you know, I, uh, again, don't have a ton of interest in that, but for whatever reason, like, yeah, Superman, I I think would be fun, a fun challenge. And I, and I like like a lot of the weird, like mythos of like, The fortress of solitude and the 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 like bottle city of candor or whatever it is um so yeah and and, i mean like clark ken and lois lane i mean who doesn't love you know uh love the two of them you know which which alan moore superman
2: story were you referring to uh
0: the one i think it's called for the for the man who has everything
2: yeah, I, I I assumed that would be the one you would say. I I would argue that he has one other great one, which is uh, the whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. Did you ever read that I, one? I
0: did, but I, I honestly don't really remember it all that well. I'm sure it's good. Oh, I love that
2: one. I love that one. So um You mentioned earlier that you've done basically writing your whole life and you you definitely read an enormous amount of material. Um, You seem to be immersed in the world of stories quite a lot. Um, And I I was wondering if you have this sensation at all, when when you're devoting so much of your life to the world of story, whether it's in the consumption side or the creation side, do you ever feel like there's a tension between that world of story and the world of reality? and you're, you're having difficulties navigating how to apportion your time between the two.
0: Um, I'm not sure that I completely understand what you're saying, although I I think it's really interesting and it's, it's, um, kind of prompting me down a few different avenues. Can you, can you just clarify that last bit a little bit just so I can kind of get a better
2: sense of what you're thinking? Well, I, I find it sometimes that I, I I'm, I'm actually maybe one degree less immersed in this as you are. I think you're, uh, but I think we're both pretty uh, storyaholics, for lack of a better term. And uh, you know, a lot of times uh, it's kind of weird. I'll I'll encounter a situation with someone, and I'll immediately want to make a reference to Hey, this reminds me of. But instead of Hey, this reminds me of something that I can draw upon from my actual real life, I'm actually thinking of something that I encountered in a story. Um and so I, I, I sometimes feel this tension between, you know, how to how to apportion my time, how to how to continue to engage with the real world and continue to engage with the imaginative worlds. Um do you have any sort of struggles with that? I wouldn't characterize
0: it as struggles, but I definitely think that being a writer and a creative person who deals with stories has had a huge impact on how I view the world. Um, I, yeah, I like, there's so many things that I, I can kind of think of. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, I, um, you know, I, you know, everything is a story. Everything is, is kind of a narrative. Um, Sorry. I'm just trying to collect my thoughts. Um,
2: Sorry to throw you into the philosophical question portion. No, I I
0: love it. Um, Yeah. I mean, like I, um, again, like kind of to cite um, Ursula Kayla Gwynn, she has an essay, I I think it's an essay called why are Americans afraid of dragons that I, 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 I love, I mean, her, her, she's an amazing writer of science fiction, but her like nonfiction and her essays are just as good as her fiction. And I I just think that she's like totally brilliant, but the essay is, is it's kind of about a lot of things, but I mean, part of it is, is kind of, she has this distinction between what's real and what's true. And so you know, if you look at like a dragon, um, a dragon isn't real, but a dragon is true. And so, like, what does that mean? What do you mean a dragon is true? A dragon is true because if in a if you know, uh, you follow the story, like the dragon is a metaphor for something, is for something that you can't describe right. in any other way, but then to call it a dragon. Um, I wrote, I mean, I, uh, I wrote, a, uh, one of the short stories that I have written and, and kind of, uh, published recently is called creation story. And it's, you know, it's a pretty short piece about <clears throat> it's, you know, it's like basically like cave people, like in the beginning of time. And it's this mother and her son and the son is kind of asking like, well, why, why is anything or where do we come from? And, um, she looks up at the moon and sees like kind of this crescent moon. And, uh, it kind of describes it. She kind of has this revelation of like the, the sliver of the moon kind of looks, looks like her, her stomach when she was pregnant. And so she comes up with this idea of there's this, you know, uh, thing called God that gave birth to the, to the world. And, um, it describes, you know, she, um, uh, even though she knows that it's a lie, it's not real. There is a truth to it. And I am really interested in that, in that dichotomy. I mean, I, um, you know, I grew up, um, I grew up uh, going to Catholic school and I've, I've had a lot of um, kind of back and forth of like um, where I, kind of or how I think in terms of like spirituality and like, you know, uh, a big influence on me was um, like Joseph Campbell and, you know, reading, uh, I think you recommended it to me, his first book of like the mass of God. And you read the first chapter and it's like every, every single society that has ever existed has come up with a variation of this kind of like creation myth. And I, uh, I mean, I, despite the fact that I don't think that God is real, um, I was humbled by reading that and you just can't deny there's something about humanity that is attracted to this idea that sees, uh, truth in this idea. And yeah, so, and uh, like, and I, I don't, I, I don't know how much this answers your question, but I, um, I definitely am really interested in in that dichotomy of like what is real and what is true. I, I think that I think about that like all the time. I, I was joking um, the other day that you know the Constitution should just be replaced by the Lord of the Rings, and I was like, <laughs> well, nothing in the Lord of the Rings is real, but there's a lot of truth in it, and there's just as much truth in it as, or if not more than, in our actual Constitution. Um, and I think that, a, you know, if you ran a country based off the principles of Lord of the Rings, like, I mean, you can't do any worse than what we have currently. So there's that. But, um, you know, I, and, and, and the, the point of, of, of Ursula K. Le Guin's essay is kind of this general undervaluing of fantasy and like this perspective that like, you know, there's real novels, quote unquote, the Jonathan, Jonathan, right, Jonathan right. Franzen of the world, like that's real literature. And then fantasy is for kids. Uh, I think she starts the essay by talking about how uh, the Hobbit in like her local library is shelved in the kids section. And, you know, she's like the Hobbit is literature of the highest order uh, should be, you know, compared to Dostoevsky and Tolstoy and, and, and everything else. But because a lot of different reasons that she cites, um, you know, it's seen as uh, for kids. Beca- and, and part of it is because kids recognize that difference between what's real and true a lot more easier. When you get older, I think that um, there's just so many forces in the world that kind of create these illusions of, of, of truth And you just kind of accept that this is the way things are. And if you stop for a second and actually think about it, you're like, this actually doesn't make any sense. You know, why, why are we doing this? Um, You know, uh, and it it turns out that it's like, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, She gave us, I think it was in her, um, her speech for the national book award where she was like, she said that writers, their job is to imagine like these better futures. Um, and yeah, so I, and yeah, and I mean, again, maybe to, um, tie the whole thing together. I mean, like, I I think that I've, that's where I find optimism and hope is in stories and in, uh, expressions of creativity and art. Um, you know, to me, that's like, that's the whole point of everything. If we didn't have that, um, you know it would be pretty boring, I think.
2: I agree, I agree. Um, I have two more questions for you, if you've got a little bit more time. I have nothing but um, time for you, Milton. <laughs> the uh, um, the privilege I've had in, in, in knowing you um, g- gives me a little bit of insight that other folks would not have. Um, it would not be... Um, a uh, correct introduction of rick quinn to the world uh if someone's being introduced to you for the first time through this podcast um i would be remiss without bringing up the topic of music um music is a very core aspect of your being and i believe it probably influences your comic creation work as well You've, you've been kind enough to do some uh playlists for some of the projects I've been working on, um, how how does music fit into your life and what, if any aspect of it informs your comic creating?
0: Uh, well, yeah. Um, music, I, yeah, I mean, um, music to me, I, I think part of why I, uh, respond to it I mean, the way that I do, I mean, to me, I, I kind of consider that like the the holiest of, of art forms. Um, I cannot do it. I have, you know, my brother uh, is, you know, a musician who he can play anything and like it writes, it writes these amazing songs and can record and, and um, you know, do all this like layered, intricate things with it. Like I know nothing like I can I've been playing the guitar for over you know, like probably 15 years or something like that. And I I can still play like the same five chords and in the same like half of three songs. Um, (laughs) And so there's definitely a part where I just like I don't really understand it and I don't understand um, why I'm so moved by it necessarily. Um, I do think that. Again, kind of to get to this like kind of a utopian view or uh, something along those lines. I mean, like music to me is like anyone can listen to it and get something out of it. Um, Any kind of book needs to be translated. Any kind of movie needs subtitles. Anyone can listen to a piece of music and if it's good, like pretty much get it. Um So I, I really like that aspect of it. Um, and
2: What was the second part of your question? <laughs> how, how, how does it influence, if any, uh, aspects of your comic? Oh career? yeah,
0: well, so um, one way it influences is usually the kind of projects or the things that I end up writing are usually an excuse to listen to certain kinds of music um i I will (laughs) i will think like of the soundtrack first so that i can listen to that and then while i'm listening to it um come up with a story um i think almost everything that i've done i could pretty much isolate to you which song it was that i was listening to at the time um or you know what what set of albums or, or musicians um and 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 also i mean i think again like there's um uh and this kind of relates to on on your last podcast with um frank go gogol go, is that what his last
2: name was i believe you are correct i i still don't know honestly i must confess i'm hoping okay. that's
0: well, right um Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, Frank, he, he was talking about like poetry and like his, the, he like went to school for poetry and how that kind of influenced his comic writing. And like, I could relate to that a lot. And I uh, poetry and music to me are, are both very similar where, um, they're both can, can be very like, um, kind of also like unintuitive, like and very spontaneous or kind of unknown where they come from. Um, you know i'm usually somebody who like again like uh, it's very like um intellectualized like how i end up where i end up and i have a, I, I wish that i had the ability to to just kind of be have that like freedom to where like you just sit down at a piano and start playing and you have no idea what you're doing you have no idea why you're doing it and you know a, a song comes out um, but the, so, but poetry and music, they're also, they, you know, poetry has a musicality to it and comic books have a, a musicality and a, and a kind of a poetic nature to them as well. Um, especially the way that like, um, if you think of like panels on a page, you know, um, you, I, I think of it in terms of like, kind of like, you know, it's like page one, it's like three or four panels, like is is almost kind of like a, you know, I don't know how to describe it other than like in my head, I'm like, okay, do, do, do like, like almost like a drum. And then like, okay, you're building up and then page two and three are going to have like five or six panels. That's a little more kind of music, a little more happening and then page four splash page and just kind of that like natural kind of rhythm that, I mean, to me, that's like a pretty obvious and like standard version of that. But like, um, and even just the, you know, the way that like um, panel descriptions, the, the rhythm of them, the way that they're kind of metered out between the different panels. Um, it just, it's very similar to the process of sitting and like writing a poem and like the, um, and you know, poetry is all about trying to, well not all about, but a a lot of it is, you know, trying to get the most out of the fewest words and, 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 um, you know, uh, comic writing is, is, is that way too. I mean, like you only have certain amount of space and you don't want to, um, cover all of the artwork with all of your words. So it, it kind of, uh, forces you in a really good kind of creative exercisey kind of way to be as articulate and be as succinct as, as possible. Um, yeah. I think, well, I, I, I think I mostly covered your question. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I mean, like music is yeah. such a huge topic. I mean, I could talk about that all day. I mean like, yeah. I, um, yeah. And I, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like kind of nostalgia tied up with that too. I mean, like my, my dad was a musician and, uh, you know, he, we would listen to music all the time when I was growing up and, um, you know, so when I listen to music too, and you know, I, I, Earworm, so our, the comic Earworm is a perfect example of like, um, you know, so much of that story was about like these, these songs and the meaning that the songs kind of carry with them and the history that they carry with them. And, you know, I pretty much every song that I listen to, I almost always remember the person I was with when I first heard it or a significant event that happened while it was playing in the background. So when I go through and, and listen to, uh, you know, whether it's on the computer or Spotify or like a record listening to it on vinyl or something, you know, it's a way for me to kind of, uh, be with, you know, everyone that I know, you know, in a weird way, like, um, and, yeah, it just kind of keeps me in touch with old friends and family, although we're literally not having a discussion, but I mean, it just like kind of brings all that back for me.
2: That's great. That's great. Um, What you were just talking about reminded me of one thing that seems totally unconnected, but I I, I feel the urge to bring it up. Have have you ever seen the documentary Comedian uh, that's mostly about Jerry Seinfeld, but also a few other comedians. I saw
0: it when it came out in theaters, but I haven't seen it since.
2: There's a moment in that documentary that just fascinates me. And Seinfeld is around the table with a number of other comedians. And he's talking about the creative process of making jokes. And he talks about contrasting jokes that take a lot of effort versus those that just kind of emerge from the universe Um, And he talks about, you know, he's written a number of jokes that take him a whole year to write. He'll workshop it on the road. He'll tweak every little rhythm and nuance of it and keep fighting and keep fighting and keep fighting it, polishing it to get it to the point to where it is finally a joke that works. Contrasting that with other jokes, he said that he's quote unquote written. And he says sometimes he will have a joke that just comes out fully formed. Like an eagle with wings taking flight, just immediately it's perfect. It doesn't need any adjusting. And he says, "I don't think I wrote that joke. That it just it just came into the world and declared itself. I am a joke."
0: Yeah. Well, it, uh, you hear that story with a lot of musicians as well. Uh, I think uh, Tom yeah. Petty been uh, writing the song Wildflowers, and by all accounts literally hit record on the tape machine and just started playing a song and three minutes later he had the song Wildflowers. Um which yeah to me is it's like sounds like completely mystical. Like how is that even possible? Um but you know I yeah. you know I like anecdotally like I, I've definitely had you know much it's much more likely for me to sit and and you know type or write something and revise it and go back and fix and da 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 but There are those occasions where you sit down and just somehow you just start writing and what you ended up with, you're like, I think this is done. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, um, in all of those cases, you know, Seinfeld or, or, um, uh, Tom Petty or whoever is that, um, you have to, you have to have a pretty solid foundation of like the craft itself in order to kind of do that, at least in a sustained way. You know, I think that, um, Mm -hmm,
2: mm
0: -hmm. you have to kind of be prepared to know when that's happening and able to kind of capture it. Um, which, you know, it's kind of like the, like, you know, this idea of like an overnight success or like, and that's one thing that I always struggled with, like as an as somebody who is like being creative and wanted to be an artist, is like you 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 see all these other people and and are artists and and you just think like you know especially if they're like younger or like I know you're like a huge Orson Welles fan and I always uh, had in my mind like Orson Welles how old he was when he made Citizen Kane and I was like well I have to do something on the on the the scale of Citizen Kane by then or else. You know, I um, have somehow failed, but you What you have to remember in all of these cases, every time that you read a biography of these people or read interviews with these people is that they have been working on this for years, sometimes their entire life before that opportunity presented itself. It isn't like Orson Welles just decided one day to make a movie. And then he walked into a studio with the script of citizen Kane. I mean, he, uh, you know, had, you know, probably more than a decade of experience of writing, of producing, of, of acting, um, and in like vaudevillian, you know, um, you know, better than I do, but I mean, like, um, and, and in all these cases, it's the same thing. It's like, you, you have to have been working at these crafts for a very long time in order to get to that level to where you can just kind of divine something. And I think, it's possible to do that without, um, sometimes without all of that uh, work beforehand, but it's not sustainable, and you'll see those people burn out or not really last very long. That's another thing you see in in music a lot, particularly is like a lot of bands have a great first album, and some bands have a great first album, and the second album's kind of shaky, and then the third one's really good, and then they disappear, and they or, or you know they just become mediocre for the rest of their lives. And but then there are those people that are able to uh, continue to be interesting. Uh, You know, I again to like bring up Nick Cave, like that's somebody who I look at as, you know, kind of the role model of like he just put out his best album and it's like 40 years into his career. Um, And his entire career is interesting because he's always kind of like pushing himself forward and he's, you know, he's, if you read an interview with him, he's like, every day I go into my office, sit down and start writing and writing poetry. And, and, you know, he probably like literally, I think he like has a Bible and like paradise lost there that he's like thumbing through while he's like bored. Um, but otherwise he's like sitting there and doing the work like every single day. And, um, you know and the, like ursula k O'Glenn is another one who is like all about like the craft the craft of writing and like you have to um, do it constantly and constantly be working at it it's not something that's just going to happen by accident um sorry i went off on a, a on a tangent but
2: um no that was that was definitely the point of the question um i i have one last question for you it's the thing that i try to close out with um routinely here and that's to ask what's on your radar. What, uh, what are you reading? What are you watching that you can recommend?
0: Um, well, I ju- well about an hour or two before this, uh, podcast recording commenced. I just got in the mail chasing the bird, Charlie Parker in California by our, uh, our yes. mutual friend, Dave Chisholm, which, uh, I am incredibly excited to read again. Um, uh, and, Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, I also recently read, I backed, uh, Jason Alsaka, uh, or no, sorry, Jordan Alsaka did a book called Raise hell that he had on Kickstarter. And I recently read that and really enjoyed it. Um, for anyone who's familiar with the comic book giant days, it's kind of in a similar vein of that. Um, I thought it was, um, it was really kind of like a creative and kind of charming, uh, story um another comic that i read recently that i really liked is this book called lonely receiver is by this writer named zach thompson and the artist is jen hickman and it's basically kind of like if um hitchcock's vertigo was directed by david cronenberg it's um it's kind of like this relationship body horror uh story that um is really interesting uh, i think it's like three issues in right now and i've been really liking that um uh that's a, that's for comics and as far as books i've been reading i'm, I'm uh, a little more halfway through the haunting of hill house by shirley jackson who is an author i've discovered this year during uh quarantine and she is freaking brilliant um uh i read uh, earlier this year i read um we have always what is that book called uh we have always lived in the castle uh which was i read in like basically two sittings and it was, was like a masterpiece oh, wow. and so this uh this one's really good too also reading a book called they can't kill us until they kill us by the writer hanif adurakib who's like a, a music essayist uh based out of ohio uh I knew instantly when I opened the book and there was a essay about Bruce Springsteen. And then the next essay was about Carly Rae Jepsen that I was going to be a huge fan. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, I also, I haven't gotten too far into it, but I, I ordered this book called men of tomorrow by this writer named Gerard Jones. That was the, the artist, uh, Ganzier had been posting about, I think in like his newsletter and, um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's about like the origins of the comic book industry and uh, it's really fascinating, especially if like, I think it does a really good job of um, kind of paralleling uh, what was happening at the beginning of the comic book industry with like what was happening historically. And uh, mm-hmm. so I'm really enjoying that. And then um, speaking of um, newsletters, I would also recommend uh, our mutual friend Renton hockey has a newsletter called rent space that um he usually uses to kind of chronicle like his um he's working on a web comic called Ronin Digital Express that's really cool and and the newsletter is uh again like kind of it's just like charming the way that he he's very open about his foibles or his perceived foibles of you know his journey of um uh kind of creating this web comic and uh I would definitely recommend that if you if you um Find, find him on uh, Twitter I'm sure there's like a link somewhere there but uh, I think that's that's pretty much it
2: well speaking of Twitter uh, the apocalyptic hell site that it is wh- where can people find you on there I am on Twitter uh, at, at rich
0: rich quizzle um, don't ask me to explain it's a very long convoluted inside joke of why my Twitter handle is at rich quizzle so just ignore that um, uh, at Rich Quizzle, and then uh, my website is uh, so aphexquinn.com, so aphex com, which is which is a play on uh, the electronic musician Aphex Twin, um, who, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of.
2: As am I, as am I. Well, Rick, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, and thank you for, uh, you know, donating... Uh, your works to a cause. Um, and, uh, one last time, how, how can people order the Georgia state bundle?
0: Uh, people can order that by going on my website and I've been posting about it pretty regularly on Twitter as well. So there uh, should be links for, for that on both of those spots. And, um, and before I go, I mean, I, I will, uh, I will say again, thanks to you. Um, because as I mentioned before, I mean, we've been friends for years, but I, um, you know, I definitely would not have made it this far along in my creative, uh, creative journey without your support and your, your, um, kind of critical eye. And, um, we didn't really get to talk about the, um, comics experience, which is kind of how we first met. Um,
2: Oh yeah. We'll have to do that in a, in a future episode.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, the short version is that, um, the comics experience is this forum where people could log in and, um, kind of this community of like, uh, you know, uh, independent comic book creators. And I signed up for it. And that was really the first time I'd ever, um, put out something that I had written to be read by strangers in the past. I would only, you know, always kind of, Been very like uh, scared, or basically, yeah, scared to have other people read it. Um, Yeah, it's pretty because I thought it was going to be terrible. And, um, you know, I have like close friends and and people would read it, but that was the first time I'd really had anybody uh, that I didn't know read it. And literally the first comment I got was from you. And I mean, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, and you're, you're, I can't remember if it was a comment or an email, but I mean, it was just, I mean, it was so encouraging. And, you know, I, I always remember that in, in moments when I'm like questioning myself or, or uh, yeah, having these moments where I'm like, is this even worth it? I, I mean, I do, I think about that. So, I mean, I definitely appreciate your friendship over the years and now, you know, it's all culminated in me being able to take advantage of appearing on your podcast.
2: (laughs) Oh, well, thank you, sir. Thank you for the kind words. I'm glad that I have that footnote, uh, of, uh, a detail in, in the Rick Quinn history as well. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and we'll have to, we'll, uh, we'll have to do this again too. We didn't, yeah, we didn't, I, well, I forgot to mention the like movies that I've been watching, but I mean, we could talk about that all day, but, um, yeah, we'll have to do it again, uh, sometime
2: That sounds like a plan. Well, thank you again for coming on, and best of luck with the Georgia Senate bundle and chameleons and whatever else is in the near future.
0: Cool. Thanks, Milton. Oh, fuck. I'm sorry. I'm, like, going way off the rails. (laughs) So bad. Um... Do you mind if I start that over? Sorry, I, I make uh, hopefully that'll be the first time. I was just like, "What? where am I going with this? Does, does everybody else, does anyone else need any editing or is it just like a straight shot?